Welcome back to the Midfield Politics Podcast. My name is Luke James and I'm joined across the dispatch box by none other than Zach Green. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about, well, the only thing that anyone's talking about at the moment, the first US presidential debate. But before we get into that, Zach, what has caught your attention over the past seven days? Well, if we continue in the same vein as the US presidential campaign, uh, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, today has got coronavirus. Him and Melania have tested positive. And when he tweeted that he had it, it was a very marked change of mood. He, It's no longer the China virus. It's now COVID-19. Yeah, I, we, we should say at this point as well, we're recording the podcast at 10.42 on the 2nd of October. This is UK time, of course. So the news broke about Donald Trump and the First Lady contracting coronavirus overnight. What was your first re- What was your first response to this? Because kind of I woke up and I looked at it and Twitter was kind of tearing itself to pieces over this news. I didn't know how to respond. What was kind of your first thought? I was more surprised that he hadn't contracted it sooner. We've seen his attitude towards the coronavirus now for the past few months, that it was something that would go away. It's something that he wasn't really bothered catching. It was something he thought he could inject himself with bleach, although he does protest that he wasn't serious and we should know that he wasn't serious. So when he, when he, it was, ironically, he sounded like a president when he announced that he had it which kind of just sums up Donald Trump in general over the past four years. It's only when it's something that he's mocked, derided and kind of discounted for a long time when it happens to him or something close to him, he takes it quite seriously. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a marked shift. If you if you look at the way that the president usually tweets about the coronavirus, it's normally in a very flippant kind of, oh, it's fine, it's not a huge issue, it's the China virus kind of vibe going on. And obviously the tweet kind of today said that Donald Trump has COVID-19 and it, it struck me that he used A, the official terminology and B, it was quite a sombre tone. Um, it feels like the White House are now finally kind of starting to take this seriously. Um, at the time of recording, there are reports that the president might have possibly given the uh, given the coronavirus to Mike Pence, although that is at the minute unconfirmed. Um, yeah, it's, it's a serious, obviously it's a serious issue for Donald Trump personally and of course I, we hope he recovers in time for the next debate. Um, what does this mean for the Elections Act? Because there have been people saying this is going to kind of revive the president's campaign. It's going to cause people to rally around him personally. And there's been other people who say, well, this has just proven everything that he's been saying about the coronavirus wrong. What do you think happens next? I think it's a blend of both, because usually when a, a big event happens in an election campaign, it does change the narrative of both campaigns. And I think considering that this probably will be the COVID election, as much as the commentary and as much as probably Joe Biden and Donald Trump don't want it to be really about COVID because of their visions for the country, it's going to be about it. And if Trump can learn from what he's contracted and kind of, I think he'll have to acknowledge that he's, he's had it and it's a very serious thing and it's still present in America. It's not going away anytime soon. I think it will put him in good stead in some of the states that have been disproportionately affected by it. I think that's what a lot of states that have either supported him or have always been ambivalent towards him have just been looking for. Not just, there's no perfect way to respond to the coronavirus. I think we've seen that across the world. I think they just need someone who's receptive to it and kind of acknowledges that this is a problem and it needs to be at least 
looking like it's being dealt with. For me, I, I honestly have no idea how to look at this from from an analytical kind of perspective with an eye the election because Donald Trump, his his whole kind of ticket is based upon his ability to campaign. He's he's a show, we've said this many times. He's a showman. He's someone who does very very well at big rallies. And again, the fact that the president has now contracted COVID nineteen days after saying, or days after um, Joe Biden saying, well, Donald Trump doesn't care about you look at the way that he treats people at his rallies. I think that kind of says something about the campaign too. Um, th- this is a serious issue for the Republicans as well, because a lot of a lot of Republicans, perhaps Republicans who don't stand a huge chance of winning, have kind of based their campaigns around the electability of the president in, in some of the congressional and house races um, and kind of at a state level too. So yeah, th- this this could have a huge impact and it remains to be seen kind of, and again, this is unconfirmed whether or not the president has symptoms or not um so yeah it's gonna be really telling over the next couple of days what we hear from the president if we don't hear much from the president that is that's going to worry people on on both sides of the aisle um potentially did you see zach there was a there was a guy on twitter who kind of came or became aware of the news before it broke because the american air force sent a number of kind of fighter jets up and down the east and west coast no, I've not heard of this. Um, so the, the, there's a tweet going around where basically someone, it was a couple of hours before the news was announced, that there's this emergency protocol where basically the US Air Force sends up some jets uh, to kind of deter enemies from, from sending missiles and whatnot. And basically he said, look, this is happening in kind of the East Coast and the West Coast. It probably means that something's happened to the president, which kind of in this instance probably means that he has the coronavirus. And... Love the holy was right. So yeah, there were there were kind of signs wow. that this could have happened. It's a really interesting tweet. I, I I've forgotten the guy's name, but you'll be it'll be easy to find. Um. So yeah, that's obviously something that's caught our attention over, over the past seven days. Although I say the last seven days, I think we spoke four days ago. Seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I saw the story last night that it was it started from someone he was close to in the campaign had tested positive, and and people were starting to say, "Well, Trump's definitely got it." And that was when I went to sleep that oh, he was going to be tested, and it was just one of those things where oh wow, he's got it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was Hope Hicks who is one of his senior advisors who went to the debate with him um, the other day. So it, it's not a massive shock that the president tested positive at this point. Although there, there were, there's been multiple points over the past couple of months where people genuinely believe that the president would have kind of contracted the disease. I think he was. He he met with the Brazilian administration kind of days before they all tested positive for the coronavirus too. Um, so yeah, Trump has had a lot of close shaves with this, and it's perhaps not a surprise given the lack of seriousness that the president has given. Um, before we get into the debate, and there's there's a lot to talk about. We've got nine minutes worth of clips to kind of show in this episode. I wanted to talk briefly about Margaret Ferrier, the SNP MP, who tested positive for the coronavirus and then jumped on a train back to her Scottish constituency. Um, this morning, just before we started to record the podcast, the SNP leader and, of course, First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, said that uh, Ferrier should resign as a member of parliament. This was after the, the, SNP, the SNP whip was suspended yesterday night. What do you make of this, Zach? Is is there going to be a by-election here? 
I, I will be shocked if there isn't a by-election. There's a lot of pressure on Ferrier. I think the whip's being removed. So it's kind of... she. I think she will bow to public pressure as well. It, it's not been well received, of course, in the media. And it's such a shame that our elected MPs aren't breaking the rules that they're legislating for. And I think if she doesn't resign, there'll be considerable pressure in the media, both in Scotland and in England and Wales. Uh, as to whether or not there will be a by-election, if it was to happen, I think it's going to be a really significant by-election for a lot of reasons. You talk about kind of it being such a shame that MPs break the rules that, that they've voted to put in place. There, there was a comment, I believe it was from an anonymous SNP Westminster colleague, who basically accused the MP in question of, of being hard of thinking, I think was the exact wording in the tweet. Um, and there, there does seem to be a somewhat um, lapse of judgment with this one. The fact that you could you could travel to London with symptoms, be tested, be positive, and then jump back on a train to Scotland with the coronavirus. I mean, you're a member of Parliament. Surely you can just book a hotel room in in Westminster for a couple of weeks. It, it just seems the most ridiculous way to ruin your career, essentially, and put a hell of a lot of people in danger. What do you, before we move on to the election, or rather the, the the presidential debate, what do you make of the SNP's response to this? Because of the only comparable example of this we have was when Dominic Cummings went on his kind of road trip to Durham. Do you think the SNP have, have responded well? Do you think kind of their stance is justified? And do you think they've kind of swatted this issue away before it became a true issue for the party? Absolutely. Uh, they've made it a personal issue for Ferrier herself. I think they responded very quickly in removing the whip and wholeheartedly condemning it, both uh, Ian Blackman and Nicola Sturgeon. So it's kind of a cross... I wouldn't say a cross-parliament issue, but as in from Holyrood to Westminster, there is a condemnation from that party of her. Whereas the Dominic Cummings thing was obviously massively sensationalised because he refused to go and Boris Johnson refused to sack him. So I think they've dealt with it quite well. But at the same time, I don't think they can shake off the fact it's... Because, it, you know, parties are tribal. And at the next by-election, it's going to be, well the SNP break the rules anyway. Why would you vote for me? It's quite reductive and it kind of does dilute the quality of our political discourse, but it's inevitable that however adequate the response has been by the SNP, it's still going to bite them at the by-election. Yeah, and I mean, the seat in question, um, Hamilton West, was won by a majority of 5,230. They took the seat from Labour, the SNP, in 2019. Um Labour Shadow Scottish Secretary Ian Murray tweeted SNP in chaos and appears to be covering up a serious breach of public health laws. The First Minister and Blackford must hold a press conference tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning to answer questions about what they did and did not know. Um, that's the question as well, because there's a fair amount of time that's lapsed between the positive test, the Member of Parliament getting on the train, speaking in Parliament and, of course, the news breaking. So it's probably a fair question to, to ask whether people within the party knew beforehand. I kind of the way that this story has gone, I, I suspect they probably didn't simply because why would they have let it get to this point before kind of dismissing her from the party? It's, it, it seems an odd choice considering the way they've kind of managed this in the public stage. But yeah, I think this is a story that's going to develop throughout the week. And I'm sure it's something we'll talk about next time. Uh, we'll move over to the presidential debate 
Zach. And there were many, many topics discussed and several topics that were meant to be discussed that never really truly got discussed. And the first of those that, that falls into the latter category was um, the, the question basically was to justify the position on the Supreme Court nomination. Of course, Donald Trump is attempting to pay, pay through a new Supreme Court justice before the election. What did you make of Biden and Trump's answers to this question? For a 20-minute segment on the Supreme Court, I think we only got two minutes on the Supreme Court and the consequences for it. And it just kind of sums up the debate in general, that it was just a, a bit of a car crash all round. But what I found quite glaring was the way that Donald Trump spoke about the justices, that, you know, it's the Democrats' fault that they've given him basically all these judges to a point. And so why are they surprised that he's flooding them with his judges? And it kind of, again, suggests, and I think we will move on to this case, it was a huge topic in the debate and they did talk about it, about the eventual reality of a Supreme Court in a contested election result. And that was probably both disturbing, but also quite interesting to see how Donald Trump was trying to justify and kind of begin planting the seeds for that battle. I kind of I, I watched the debate the morning after because there was absolutely no hope in hell that I was going to stay up have to watch this absolute monstrosity um and the the notes that I, so basically the way i approached this was i took notes of the candidates initial two minute answer to to the question and then i just took three notes and and kind of the note that i've got down the main one on this section is debate descended to utter chaos lots of discussion about and then i just simply didn't finish my sentence um and there was lots of talk about the affordable care act and this kind of stuff and whether or not Biden would would if if elected kind of support the end of the filibuster and court packing, which would involve the Democrats sending more justices into the Supreme Court to kind of rebalance the um, tipping point of power. Before we play the first clip, I, I probably should have done this before we started talking about the first question. What did you think of the debate as a whole, in a word, even? Oh, awful. There is no, like, you try and think of a, a nice glossy word to describe this debate. It, it, it was genuinely awful. I watched it live and it was just despairing to watch. Yeah. The the, the thing that, that struck me the most, and I think this says a lot about the debate as a whole, is we had, um, this is removed from the content of what, what, what both candidates said, because we're going to talk about Trump's particularly incendiary remarks towards the end of the podcast. Um, what struck me was that this is what happens when you have two 70-year-olds running for president of the United States. Joe Biden was pretty uninspiring. I don't think he had any particularly large gaffes. I just think he was pretty boring, to be honest. Um, and Donald Trump was <laughs> fairly incoherent and verging on kind of busting through the walls of reality. So, yeah, it, it was totally obscene and ridiculous, this debate. Um, and on that note, we'll move on to the first clip of the show. This is Joe Biden and Donald Trump talking about Democrats potentially court packing. And it obviously finishes with Joe Biden telling the president to shut up. Ending the filibuster or packing the court. Whatever position I take in that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. 
You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Court? Let vote now. Are you gonna pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the you question is the question is the question is the question is who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? right, gentlemen. Is, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have end, no, no, no. Give a list. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a pr productive segment, wasn't it? <laughs> Keep yapping, man. The people understand, Joe. <laughs> they should. Forty-seven do. years, you've Joe, done nothing. They understand. Oh. All right. The second subject <laughs> is COVID-19, which is Zach. What's your immediate reaction to that clip? I think. I think Joe Biden sums it up. Will you just shut up? I think it was one of those lines that people, it's not one for the ages, but it kind of does resonate with a lot of people that we've heard this all before from Donald Trump, that it's very antagonistic. It's very much a thing. It's finger jabbing across the debate and, and Biden did bite. I think that's what Donald Trump wanted. And that's what it got. It's just the, it was Joe Biden not answering the question, Joe Biden not giving out any policy and, intention of what he's going to do and then joe biden himself resulting to quite an unpresidential thing by saying we just shut up but at the same time um i think i think there was a journalist who had this like zoom session of like undecided voters and they kind of it, they kind of agreed oh yeah i agree with him there can't he just shut up and let joe biden speak it was a very uh chaotic part of the debate yeah, there, there was a couple of clips that I recorded and, and kind of decided not to include in the podcast where it was just examples of Chris Wallace, the moderator, or Joe Biden complaining about Donald Trump interrupting kind of Biden. And I think what was very, very clear from a strategic perspective was that Donald Trump made every single possible effort to disrupt anything that Joe Biden had to say. Um, it, it was very much a case of if Joe Biden can't get his words out, it will make him look incompetent. And Joe Biden, uh, to a certain extent, was bullied by Donald Trump. I don't think, and we'll, we'll talk about who, who we think won the debate later on, kind of to wrap up the show. Donald Trump, for me, didn't win this debate. Um, and Joe Biden certainly didn't lose it. But what struck me about Donald Trump's method was that it was very much just disrupt and try and cause a breakdown in whatever Joe Biden was saying. Try and have that moment where Joe Biden has just this unthinkable gaffe or just nothing comes out. And that didn't really happen. And you talk about kind of the shut up remark being unprecedented on the part of Joe Biden. I'll be honest, I actually really liked it. And kind of let mm. me explain why. Because I think there's been a lot of talk about Biden as being kind of whether or not Trump was going to be able to break Biden in the sense that he'd forced Biden into saying something stupid or say or retaliating or retaliating in a way that just didn't make sense. And I think there's been a lot of fears. And one of my fears about Biden was that he would crumble on the debate stage because he's not fast enough on his feet. And what I liked about um, the initial sh um, shut up comment and some of the ones later in the, in, in the debate, too, was the fact that it was very natural and he seemed very normal and again it kind of imagine this this conversation wasn't a presidential debate imagine it was just two people kind of talking in the pub it's the kind of thing a normal person would say if they were affronted by this kind of behavior and i i don't think this was something they could have prepared and i don't think it's something that they could have planned for but i think biden genuinely did quite a good job 
of kind of swatting away Donald Trump in moments. There are, of course, moments where Trump bullied and dominated Biden, as as we probably expected would be the case. But I think in this in this instance, I think Biden's remarks actually showed that A, he was a human and B, it, it kind of showed Donald Trump for the person that he is or kind of is portrayed to be. Absolutely. I think it, it, it just felt like a reflect, reflexive reaction. Oh, we just shut up. Is it? it didn't seem scripted. It didn't seem prepared. Because I think across the debate, and I, I said this as, as it was going on, that none of the Biden sound bites were landing because it felt like he was forcing them out. And it, it was just ironic that the things that he that weren't forced out that he just says on his feet were the things that actually stuck with me as I was watching the debate. Especially with you, you just shut up and when he called him a clown. And it was like those weren't scripted, those weren't planned. That's genuinely what he thinks of Donald Trump. Like let's be very honest here. They both personally don't like each other. And it just transmitted across that entire debate. This is two men who really didn't like each other. And yeah, I think Biden will get more I would say more voters, but more supporters just from that line itself. I agree. The the clown comment was was my genuine highlight of the debate in terms of in terms of positive things that were well clearly that's not a positive thing, but in terms of in terms of things either candidate could walk away with and think, yeah, that's a positive thing that I've contributed. Um yeah, I, I just feel like this was a story of Donald Trump trying to suppress Biden and there were occasions when it worked and there were equally occasions where Trump just looked slightly ridiculous. And I think when someone who is known to be as restrained as Joe Biden calls you an idiot or a clown or to shut up, it, it, it says something quite kind of powerful about about the moment. Um, I, will, I think it's probably time that we move on to the next clip. So... The next question from Chris Wallace was simply, why should the American people trust you to deal with the coronavirus? This this clip is a, is a little way into the discussion about the coronavirus, but it's an interesting one. So I'll hand you over to the debate. Before November 1st, it could I'm, also I'm be after that. generally available. It, not well, we're going to deliver it right away. We have the military all set up logistically. They're all set up. We have our military that delivers soldiers, and they can do 200,000 a day. They're going to be this delivering This is the same us. man it's who all told set you up. by Easter this had be gone away. By the warm weather, it'd be gone. Miraculous. Like a miracle. And by the way, maybe you could inject some bleach in your arm, and that would take care of it. This is the that same man. That was said sarcastically, that was and you same, know that. I, that I, was I, said sarcastically. And so here's the deal. This man is talking about a vaccine. Every serious... Every serious company is talking about maybe having a vaccine done by the end of the year. But the distribution of that vaccine will not occur until sometime beginning or the middle of next year to get it out if we get the vaccine. Zach, how did this section of the debate make you feel? Of course, you've already spoken in this podcast about the upcoming election being the coronavirus election. This was the question about the coronavirus. How did each candidate deal with the task at hand? I felt that this was one of the the topics that we, we expected Joe Biden to do very well in because the president has handled this virus really, really badly. And I wasn't really surprised that Joe Biden sounded much stronger than Donald Trump, although it, this is quite an interesting part. It was a bit later on from that point when he was very suspicious about a vaccine and he was put on the back foot by Donald Trump because Donald Trump was, well, 
if I get the vaccine early, you're not going to support it. And Biden was, he didn't give a straight answer. He was very ambivalent towards that that prospect because we know if a rush vaccine would make anyone feel uneasy. And it was quite a, a difficult path for Joe Biden to kind of say. And it, because if you are a prospective presidential candidate, you can't say, oh, no, I don't want to be having the vaccine because you come across as an anti-vaxxer and that might alienate you from a lot of votes that they've probably just got in the bag. Whereas on the other side, if he's very supportive of it, you'll have a lot of anti-vaxxers that don't really want to support Donald Trump, but they're thinking of Joe Biden and they hear that, that he's supportive of any vaccine they'll put on the table. And it's like gold dust if you're a Republican because they say, well, Joe Biden will take a vaccine from China if it meant that we'd get one. You know, look what he's doing. So I think Joe Biden scored well. I think, again, Donald Trump just didn't make any sense and Joe Biden was right that this is a man who kept saying that he would go away, that they've got the military ready, that the vaccine is going to be around the corner. It's false storms and false promises. And I think it's, it's it's something for Trump that's not going to go away. It's I think he's lost a lot of votes already on the coronavirus. And who knows the effects of him having the coronavirus might have. But there are certain states that they may th- think they could have won. I don't think they're going to vote for him now because they've been so badly affected by the coronavirus. I don't know where to take this kind of conversation because I feel like we've spoken about the coronavirus a lot. The question I would put to you at this point, of course, it's irrelevant because A, we're not American citizens and B, we don't live in the United States. But if Donald Trump or the Trump administration delivered a coronavirus vaccine before Election Day and said it will be available to take from, say, the 1st of December onwards, would you sign up to take that vaccine? No. Uh, in general and here in the UK there's like talk of uh, a vaccine early I think that's not me being an anti-vaxxer that's me more being I like proceed when it comes to clinical stuff I I like to know that it's been through the procedures it's not being rushed through for the sake of it but as someone who's had coronavirus themselves it's not a nice thing to have and with the news that apparently you can get it again it's it does make a vaccine tempting, but at the same time, we don't want to be that kind of that statistic that reacts badly to a vaccine. And that debate and discourse, I think, will come up whoever wins the election about how early a vaccine is rolled out. But on the flip side, if they do deliver a vaccine, I think it's a big vote winner for Donald And he knows that if he can deliver one, he can say he's open, reopened the country when most countries, including ours, are still in some sort of lockdown. He's opened up the economy. He's you know, freed up opportunities for people so they can have the vaccine and then they can go about their normal lives again. And that could win him a lot of votes and a lot of states because we know that the real driver behind the coronavirus in terms of policy is the economy. And if you can link those two together, both in recovery in, in medicine and recovery in economic terms, I think anyone can win. It was, I found this section of the debate really interesting because both candidates accused one another of being too close to China. So Biden attacked Trump for being too supportive of the Chinese administration in the outset of the coronavirus. And then Trump accused Biden of basically being too soft to deal with China. And I think both arguments potentially would have landed with their bases because Trump it, it was all very strange, I think, this part of the debate. And I think, yeah, both sides had something to walk away with. The next 
the next thing that kind of popped up was the candidates started to talk about Trump's rallies. And this is another clip that I think is one of the most important parts of the debate. And it adds gravity to it kind of in the day since, of, of course, following Trump's positive coronavirus test. So here is another section from question two of this week's presidential debate. Your different approaches has even affected the way that you have campaigned. Uh, President Trump, you're holding large rallies with crowds packed together, thousands of people. Outside. Outside, yes, sir. Agreed. Uh, Vice President Biden, you are holding much smaller uh, events with... nobody will show up. People with... <laughs> well, it's true. With... Nobody shows up to his okay. rallies. All right. In any case, why you holding the big rallies? Why you not? You go first, sir. Because people want to hear what I have to say. I mean, I've done a great about job a spreading as a president, and I'll have 25,000, 35,000 people show up at airports. We use airports. Are you not hangers, worried about the disease issues, We have a lot of people. Issues, well, so far, we have had no problem whatsoever. It's outside. That's a big difference, according to the experts. And we do them outside. We have tremendous crowds, as you see. I mean, every and, and literally on 24 hours' notice. And Joe does the circles and has three people someplace. Okay. Uh, by the way, did that, you, did that, you, did you that, see that, one of the last big rallies he had? And a reporter came up to him to ask him a question. He said, no, 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 stand back. Put on your mask. Put on a mask. Have you been tested? I'm way, I'm way far away from those other people. That's what he said. I can't. I, I'm going to be okay. He's not worried about you. He's not worried about the people out there breathing in one another. We've had no negative effect. No, no negative, negative effect. effect. We've had no negative effect. And we've well, had 35,000, 40,000 right. people at these rallies. Just yes. quickly finish yes. up because I want to move on to our next Yes, one. I would. He's been totally irresponsible the way in which he has handled the, the social distancing and people wearing masks, basically encouraged them not to. All right. Ben, he's a fool on this. If you could get the crowds, you would have done the same thing. But you can't. Nobody cares. Gentlemen, can we move on Nobody to the cares. So, Zach, Trump has claimed that if Joe Biden could attract the same kind of crowds, he too would hold mass rallies amid the COVID-19 pandemic. On the other side, Joe Biden accuses the president of being a fool on the coronavirus and not taking it seriously, seriously enough. Who do you believe more? I think I believe Joe Biden a lot more. I think even in the UK, you've got the political party conferences. They've all been moved online. Uh, for Donald Trump to just simply say, well, if it was you, you would have done it. I think Joe Biden's a responsible politician enough to realise that it would be incredibly bad optics to call out the president for badly handling coronavirus and then having crowds of 30,000 in a stadium packed in together for a rally. So I think, again, on the coronavirus, you, you will believe Joe Biden a lot more. The polling supports that. And in general, Trump's approval ratings support that. Yeah, going on a bit of a tangent, something that I have taken a shine to recently because of kind of the British League being suspended is Russian ice hockey. Um, it's broadcast for free on, on a channel called Free Sports in the UK, um, the KHL this is. And what, what's really striking is that all of the stadiums across, it's in Russia, um, a couple of countries in kind of Eastern Europe, and I think there's one team in China too. If you look at all of, all of the stadiums that kind of the televised from, there is clearly very, very strict social distancing protocols. All of the stadiums, I think, are limited to like a third of the number of the usual attendance. So it's like two people sat together, if obviously they're in the same kind of social bubble or whatever the policy is in Russia, followed by a kind of 
rows of like six empty seats into the next person. It's quite eerie to look at. And you compare that to some of the pictures coming out from like Trump rallies. And there was one last week, and I think there was one on Wednesday as well, to be fair. And there's worlds apart. And I feel like, and this is obviously a niche point that isn't going to be used in the presidential election. But if the Russian Ice Hockey Federation is exercising more restraint when it comes to social distancing than the president of the United States is during an election, that says something about the state of the race. And that is kind of an interesting point. And again, I think this is another example where Biden's comments actually landed. This is the man who said that this would go away by Easter, maybe inject some bleach in your arm. Trump immediately kind of rebuked that by saying that he was joking. Um, but this is a comment that's going to keep coming back as well. The other one as well was he doesn't care about you. Talking about kind of the people in, going to the Trump rallies who are presumably breathing on one another in the vice president's words. Kind of to sum up this section of, of the podcast, Zach, who won the question two of the debate? Did Biden or Trump have the better of this? I, ha- I had this as a clear Biden victory because I think the this is what, like you say, it's the one probably one of the only questions for Biden where the the attacks did land quite quite well you know he brought up that it is what it is and he said that this man doesn't care about you and it, it was very again very good political posturing to not blame the voter because it's very easy you know if, if you're not campaigning you blame the people rather than the the figurehead and he said look you're not bad basically you're not bad people but this guy doesn't care about you he's misleading you he's telling you everything you want to hear when the reality is this is a bad virus you can catch it you could die so i think like he definitely won this round of the debate the third question of the debate focused on whether america would experience a k-shaped recession or a v-shaped recession or rather recovery um the difference between the two to kind of summarize before we go into what the two candidates said a k-shaped recession basically sees the people at the top get richer and the people at the poor get poorer a v-shaped recovery would basically mean that a economy crashes and then recovers all kind of together essentially so so everyone benefits at the same time on this question trump in all honesty didn't didn't really answer answer the question at all put to him by chris wallace these are the notes that i've got for this section so trump basically talks about record business open uh record business upon the reopening of the economy he then asserted that lots of people would tend to drink and drugs if they were to shut down the economy he spoke about social distancing the need to wear masks washing hands whatever but he then insisted that you needed to open the state up he then doubled down on the comments about divorce drugs and drink so the argument from the president was basically we can't shut down the economy because kind of it would lead to massive upheaval in the american way of life especially kind of signaling there towards divorce biden on the other hand kind of actually summarized the difference between a k-shaped and a v-shaped recovery he said the difference is millionaires and billionaires have done well you folks at home the working class towns how are you doing he's going to be the first president of the united states to leave office with less jobs than he started there was a clear contrast a in the nature of the answer that they gave to this question and b kind of the conversation that they had afterwards what did you make of this this section of the debate i think this the general obviously the general arc of the, the debate was the, this part of the debate was the economy and for me trump is i think he's stronger on the economy than biden because he's been we've we said i think a few weeks ago that basically the trump strategy was going to be 
look at the economy in the first three years. So like, basically, this year didn't happen. It's more of a an outlier. And the way the recovery is going at the moment with employment and in general growth, you could suggest that there is a V-shaped recovery at least showing signs of it happening. And I don't think Trump exploited it as much as he could have. Because you saw a lot of what Joe Biden was saying was quite lazy in saying, well, look what he's doing to the economy. It's the worst economy ever. But it's kind of what Trump was has been doing, was doing to Clinton in the last election. It's kind of this very disingenuous attack line to say, well, you know, you've caused this. It's, it's your fault. It's not COVID's fault. And I didn't see Trump respond as, as strongly as I thought he would. He didn't you know, talk about tax, taxes, obviously, because it was a very sensitive point. And even then when they did, he kind of pivoted towards attacking Biden's plans. And we again, it's one of those parts of the debate. We were none the wiser about what either would do in, a, in, in the next term. And, yeah, it was one, I think, more of a score drawery. I think Trump scores have important points in kind of trying to tear apart Joe Biden's uh, tax policy about giving four trillion away. Uh, but Biden scored points in the tax returns and kind of do that very delicate link to the working people who are either out of job uh, jobs or being faced with really, really bad times ahead compared to the billionaires that for the past four years he's, that Donald Trump has unapologetically and quite proudly given massive tax breaks to. I agree. Uh, I On this section, I, w- I was pretty uninspired by both, by both of the candidates, Trump and Biden, to be honest. I think Trump... On the economy, the polls show this. He has a stronger case to make. People in America, kind of likely voters, tend to side with Trump over Biden on the economy. And again, if you look at the first three years of his administration, there's probably an element where that does make sense. And again, he attacked Joe Biden on kind of not dealing well with the economy before when he was in elected office. And again, I don't think Biden particularly dealt with that very well. However, a big chunk of this of this section of the debate was taken up by a conversation about Donald Trump's tax. Of course, last week it broke that from the New York Times this is that Donald Trump only paid $750 in federal income tax in 2016 and 2017. Of course, that is the election year and the first year he was in office. So here we go. Donald Trump talking about his tax returns. I know that you pay a lot of other taxes, but I'm asking you the specific question. Is it true that you paid $750 in federal income taxes each of those two years? I paid millions of dollars in taxes, millions of dollars of income tax. And let me just tell you, there was a story in one of the papers. I paid paid $38 million one year. I paid $27 million Show us your tax returns. I went... Uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. You know, oh. if you want to do, go to the Board of Elections. There's a 118-page or so report that says everything I have, every bank I have, I'm totally under leveraged because the assets are extremely I- good. And we have a very, we have a, we, I built Sir, a great I'm asking company. you a specific question, which but is. let me tell you. I, I understand all of that. I, I understand all of that. But, but let me, a, no, Mr. President. Go ahead. I'm asking you a question. Will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes in 2016 and 2017? Millions of dollars. You paid millions of dollars? Millions in, of dollars. So yes. not $750. Millions of dollars. And you'll get to see I, it. I, and you'll get to when? see it. But and let me Shalom? just tell you, Chris, let me just tell you something, that it was the tax laws. I don't want to pay tax. Before I came here, I was a private developer. I was a private business people. 
so Zach, how did you take kind of this section of the debate? Because there's there's a hell of a lot to unpack here. Yeah, it, it, it was a hard one to read. It, it, Trump most of the time was mocking the tax policies, basically saying, well, it's not my fault the tax, there's loads of tax loopholes. It, I think that was a good line to take, actually, because Joe Biden has been was vice president for eight years. And I think what Donald Trump was trying to say is, well, if the tax system was that bad, why did you not close the loopholes in your administration? Why, why is it that because I haven't paid them, it's suddenly all my fault? But at the same time, where he's coming into this campaign as the president of the United States, I think that kind of the punch kind of is taken out of it somewhat. But I also found it very effective that Joe Biden was trying to pin him down. So just just show them, you know, if, if you've got nothing to hide, just show them. And perhaps probably the most striking part of that conversation was Donald Trump's famous you know kind of brand is a way to just be very superlative to say oh you know we are the best this it's the greatest this it's the most and all he said was millions and millions and if i was joe biden this is probably one of the cons about him not being quick on his feet he said okay give us an exact number you don't have to show your tax if you if you know you've paid them you know how much you've paid how much have you paid i feel like if he said that that would put him massively on the spot so it was a missed opportunity for Biden to probably win the economic argument just purely because, well, if this president's not paying the taxes, how do you think he's going to be paying for the recovery? But it didn't happen. It didn't materialise. So it was, again, kind of like a boxing match where they just both they both just took the gloves off and just started punching each other in the head. What did you make of Joe Biden response in July? I thought he went in July. It was one of those ones where you have to keep listening to it. I thought he said inshallah. I thought, nah, I know what Joe Biden's accent's like. It sounds like an inshallah. So it's kind of one of those, it's going to be one of those, like, VA, go, let, let it go to VAR, like, what did he actually say? And the way he said it, it's like, it, it will not go down well. I think a few Republican strategists must be thinking this is a quite, a, quite a good thing. But at the same time, it's it, where it's going to be disputed. It can't really be used, but it was, it was random, wasn't it? It was like, why on earth is he saying that? I mean, it's actually gone quite, gone down quite well if you if you look at some of the head headlines. Um, Joe Biden's campaign has confirmed that he, he did actually say it. it it's basically um, a way of well, it, it means God willing, doesn't it? And it's kind of what you would respond to field answer. Um, and again, I thought we said in July as well, and I'd quite like you to do your southern accent again because I thought that was great, Zach. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it, me like, it, it struck me as something totally kind of bizarre to happen in the debate. But it, I, well, what does that say about Biden as, as a presidential candidate? Does it say that he is actually genuinely quite interested in what's happening on social media? And is was that a nod to young people? Because, of course, this is a term that is used a lot on social media. I think I think it was quite clever that if it if it did turn out to be inshallah that it kind of it puts him a bit in tune with people that yeah he knows what what people say you know he knows that his vote his voters aren't going to be all like Trump like in the, the generic Trump voter is white is very much kind of absent from the modern world that they're kind of stuck in this kind of the southern male kind of world whereas the modern progressive voter is you know immersed in a lot of cultures and languages. So I thought that, yeah, it, it's one of those ones that it could go either way. But I think it won't go down well with probably the people he was not going to get to vote for him anyway. 
Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think it's kind of a moot point regardless, and I think many people were paying attention, but that was just something that struck me as being interesting. It's something I looked up afterwards. Um, one of the other themes of this section, this is a quote from Donald Trump. He said, China ate your lunch, Joe. Your son makes millions of dollars from China, 3.5 million from Moscow. Do you think the accusations against Biden's son landed, or do you think it made Trump look kind of a little bit ridiculous? A bit of both, because it, it, much was spoken about uh, the. Uh, I, I always get the two mixed up. Hunter Biden uh, is is the son in question here. It landed pretty well, I think, in the primaries when Donald Trump was saying, "Well, you know, bring anyone on. You know, we know what Joe Biden's like. You can't trust him because you can't trust his son." And it, it happened under his watch. But I think again, we're not. They're not voting for Hunter Biden, they're voting for Joe Biden. So I think, again, it just made him look quite nasty as well, because, I mean, as the debate went on, it just got more progressively nasty about each other's children. Yeah, I've got to say, this this was just totally unnecessary from from Trump. Uh, the, the comments about Hunter Biden were crass. When he then kind of refused to say anything about Joe Biden, his, his role in, in the um, armed forces, that's when it just got a little bit surreal. Because this is kind of a presidential candidate, Joe Biden, this is, who's he's been through a hell of a lot kind of personally. Um, and his sons have been through a hell of a lot personally too. And it's just like, well, this, it, it was a horrible moment in the debate. And I, I think Trump, it, it didn't make Trump look like a hard man. It made Trump look, look like a bit of a bully. Um, and in retaliation to some of these comments that Trump's making, here is the next clip. They've, you've already fired most of them because they did some a good job. Some people don't well, do a good here's job. With you, go ahead. You got the fi- wait a minute. You get the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me. This, hey, hey this let person. me just say to you. No, no, no. I'm no. Mr. President. Three and a half million, Joe. That is simply... Why? Zach, it's hard to get a, get a word in with this clown. What did you make of that remark? I love the way that Joe... It, it looked like Joe Biden was like, straight away. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. Again, he's kind of saying what he thinks. And in a way, it's something Hillary didn't do four years ago. And she always says in every interview she regrets that she didn't basically say what she thought about Donald Trump. And it would have probably would have landed even more. And Joe Biden's probably gone in the opposite direction. I think he's done it by accident. But at the same time, it's like if he stuck to his guns, I think we could have been in for another entertaining bout between the two. And it was probably one of the only times when Donald Trump didn't pick up on it straight away. And he'll regret that because he probably did have something nasty back. But again, it just shows you how the debate just descended into just nasty barbs that were unnecessary and quite dispiriting in general. Yeah, that that's what struck me too. And and what really surprised me about this as well was the fact that Donald Trump didn't respond. It was almost as if Donald Trump didn't hear what he said. And what I also found really surprising was that Chris Wallace didn't say anything to try and moderate the language that was being used either because... As much as the kind of Democrats are not particularly fond of Donald Trump and don't have much respect for Donald Trump, he is still kind of president of the United States and there tends to be some kind of respect for the office at the very, very least. And to an extent, I think it says something about kind of the state of the presidential office under Donald Trump, because if Joe Biden, this is someone who has spent his whole whole career as being part of the system, he's very much someone who has who has played within the rules and has, has lived by the rules of the system is calling the president a clown 
with millions and millions of Americans watching. That that's quite something. And I agree with you as well. He clearly said this by accident. It just came out. It wasn't something that he particularly wanted to say. That it was clearly what he was thinking. Um, and as I said earlier, right, this was one of my favourite parts of of the debate because it showed that Biden although it probably indicates that he hasn't fully restrained himself in the way that he'd like, it also shows that he is kind of a real person who's willing to go after Trump in that way. Um, so to wrap up the economy sections, Zach, you believe Trump won or Biden won? I, I don't think either one. It, it was, again, where if, you, if you're left in the topic of the debate, none the wiser, then neither have managed to do quite well. I think it was more... They, they were both on the offensive, but at the same time, very defensive and kind of they nullified each other a lot. I think the only thing we got from it was that Trump didn't like Joe Biden's tax plans, which was I mean, blatantly obvious. And again, I think the real poor show here is the moderator. The moderator was really, really bad. And for one of the, you know, the famous quote from bill clinton's strategist was it's the economy stupid this is the thing that wins elections and if you don't hear anything about the economy you are really going to be in a difficult position as a voter because you want to know really you might not like donald trump but you need to hear what he plans for you like for your economic life you didn't same with joe biden really so score draw yeah uh again we didn't learn anything about the economy in this section whatsoever we didn't hear anything about their actual plans it just descended into kind of somewhat of a playground kind of taunt the next section of the debate was about racial justice and again it was very very clear that biden and trump have very different kind of stances on this issue um the clip that i'm about to play now is about racial awareness training this is from the president donald trump your administration uh, directed federal agencies to end racial sensitivity training that addresses white privilege or critical race theory. Why did you decide to do that, to end racial sensitivity training? And do you believe that there is systemic racism in this country, sir? I ended it because it's racist. I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, that it was a radical a revolution that was taking place in our military, uh, in our schools, all over the place, and you know it, and so does what, everybody what, what else. Radical, and he would know. Uh, what is oh, radical was totally about racist. racial sensitivity training? Sir. If you were a certain person, you had no status in life. It was sort of a reversal. And if you look at the people, we were paying people hundreds of thousands of dollars to teach very bad ideas and, frankly, very sick ideas. And, and really, they were teaching people to hate our country. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow that to happen. We have to go back to the core values of this country. They were teaching people that our country is a horrible place, it's a racist place, and they were teaching people to hate our country. Unsurprising and quite uncouth, really. It, 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 it was, I think, an appeal to his voter base that this isn't about racial justice. This was more about an attack on America and American values. I found it largely ironic he said he wants core American values. Uh, to just you know, permeate through America, there's no need for this kind of thing, and it was unsurprising. This this president has come out with some awful remarks over the past four years and and all the years before it. But again, it's it's when you you know he's the president of the United States and he's saying this. This is not some 
guy in the pub, you know, with a beer. This is like the leader of the free world basically saying, well, I'm not doing it. It, it just sounds like people hating America. It's like, it, it does beg a belief. I mean, this was utterly, utterly unsurprising what the president had to say on this. And again, his initial answer to the question about racial justice, he criticised the 1994 crime bill. Then he went on to go after, quote unquote, radical left mayors in Oregon and Portland. He then started talking about how Biden has nothing to say about law and order. He then claimed that the former vice president is afraid to talk about law and order. Um <sighs> Again, I, nothing on this topic really surprises me in terms of what Donald Trump had to say. And I think this, the clip that we've just played is perhaps kind of the least surprising element of it, I, I would probably argue. I mean, there was not really much to discuss here, I would say. Um, on that note, we'll move on to the second clip from this section about Donald Trump's support. Not true. Almost That's nothing. Not, look. Oh, right. Who do you have? Name one group that supports you. Name one group that came out and supported you. Go look. ahead. Look, think we have time. We don't have time to do no, anything. No, no, think so about right. it. Name right, one folks, law enforcement folks. group that folks. came think, out and I supported think, gentlemen, you. Gentlemen, I think I'm going to I'm going to take back the there moderator's are, role, and I, want, and I want to get to another subject, which is the issue of protest. Will this have landed with kind of the Donald Trump base, Zach? The the argument that, that Joe Biden doesn't have any support from law enforcement. Massively, I think that was a big part of the. The strategy was to always get any conversations arced towards law and order, and this is the perfect time to do it. And again, this shows you how poor the moderator was. I think Trump had a point, and it was it was going to land. It it would have been probably how Biden could have lost the debate if he couldn't say anything. And then the moderator said, "Well, can you answer the president's question? Who does support you?" Uh, and I think the, the uh, moderator kind of inadvertently came to Biden's rescue. And the debates rescue because it was a, it's a point that lands with the voters. But it also does land in the Rust Belt in the Midwest in the Midwest uh, with the Midwestern states, and it it's a delicate line because as soon as Joe Biden can say, "Well, I don't have anyone supporting me," the law and order kind of attack line probably does start to cut through to the undecided voters because all the attacks so far, Sleepy Joe hasn't landed. You know, the you know the corrupt Democrats not landed, but that this probably would have landed, and it didn't. It was one of those it's hit him on the nose rather than knocked him out, and it's probably a big shame for Donald Trump that the moderator kind of didn't def- defend him. I would say that this was one of the remarks that that did land for Trump. Um, Again, law enforcement to a lot of American voters is something that's exceptionally important. And of course, it's, it's extremely important to Donald Trump's base. And Donald Trump's campaign is premised upon the idea that he is the president of law and order. It's something that he tweets basically every other day. Um, yeah, I think Joe Biden looked very, very flat footed here. He didn't have anything to say. And by simply saying, well, we don't have time to talk about this was... I think the weakest thing he said all night. It was, it was a ridiculous comment and it, it just made him look slightly out of his depth at that point to be honest um but yeah i mean this is something does this matter to to swing voters do you think that the fact that joe biden has limited or in trump's view no support from law enforcement organizations do you think that matters to swing voters i think so because you have to remember that swing voters aren't the kind of undecideds on twitter that 
you know, call for you know defunding the police and such. And, and Donald Trump knows that. He knows that a construction worker in Ohio, for example, doesn't really care about the events that are happening. He cares about whether or not the police are going to keep his neighbourhood safe. And this kind of thing does land, I think, with the swing voters, because we said in the British elections that where they're not in the bubble, I think more trivial issues mean more to them. And it could be the simple thing of a police officer not supporting Joe Biden, but supporting Donald Trump does kind of swing a vote towards Donald Trump. So I think it's a really, really important issue in any election. But again, like we say, the with COVID and the growing importance of an economic recovery, this kind of falls behind those two. And Donald Trump trying to row that back into probably the most important part of the election is definitely a strategy. And it, it could have worked. And if in another world that the moderator does ask Joe Biden that million dollar question, I think we could be reacting very differently to the debate. This is the moment that kind of everyone has been talking about after the debate. And I think this is the this is a the standout moment from the entire debate in terms of what was said. And also the thing that I genuinely believe will have a huge impact on the rest of this election campaign. Here is President Trump's message to the Proud Boys. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and right would like me to white supremacists and right supremacists. Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem, his this own is a left-wing problem. This is a left-wing problem. White supremacists, Antifa's an idea, not an organization, oh, you got it, not kidding. militia. That's what oh, his really? FBI... His okay. FBI director Gentlemen, said. Well, then, you know what? No, no, no we're, done, we're done, sir. Everybody, we're moving on to the everybody. next. Zach, there's a lot to unpack here. We'll start off with Donald Trump and whether or not he did actually condemn white supremacy. The, the simple question to you, Zach, did the president condemn white supremacy? He didn't. And it's shameful. It is, it is, what, it is what it is. It's shameful that he didn't. They are white supremacists. He couldn't even say it. And it was quite sad that he didn't, because this was something that, again, it's it's one of those things that goes without saying, you know, surely every, I think every Republican spin doctor is probably tearing their hair out. Or, you know, if you were me, just rubbing your forehead, that, wow, you're not going to condemn white supremacy. That's like the one thing that you can do quite easily without any, any backlash. But at the same time, the barb is that most of his voters are that. And it's, a difficult tightrope for Donald Trump to walk, apparently, but I don't think it is. He could have condemned it. Yeah, that that for me is is not a difficult thing for a, for a Republican candidate to do. It, it should have been simple. It should have been yes, I condemn white supremacy. The message should not have been to the Proud Boys stand back and stand by. And in the day in the day since since the debate, we've seen numerous people who were switched on to kind of right-wing domestic terrorism, white supremacy, and the kind of 
within these group and watching these group, watching what these groups are saying on various platforms, people have been well responded to this positively white supremacists have loved this message they've looked at this and said yeah this is a sign of legitimacy from the highest office in the land this is a gift from the lap of the gods essentially for, for white supremacists and people have warned that violence regardless of the result in november could kind of erupt kind of in its wake so yeah this is this is absolutely shameful from donald trump and i think the headline and the headline to this podcast is simply this this quote about the Proud Boys. This is the thing that people have to talk about. The debate, and I think analysis that suggests that this debate was defined by two old men interrupting one another is not only completely missing the point, but it is just shamefully avoiding taking any responsibility for what happens in American politics. Quite simply, the president said initially to the question that he would that he would condemn white supremacy. He said, yeah, I'll condemn it. Give me a name. He then was given a name, the Proud Boys, and said, stand back and stand by. People have received this within the organization as being a call to arms. It is utterly ridiculous, simply dangerous that the president thought it was appropriate to do this. And yeah, I think this is the story of the debate. The debate is not going to be defined by what the person had to say on climate change, although that was kind of somewhat hilarious. This debate is going to be about what Donald Trump says, not about white supremacists, but what he said to them, because this was a direct message and he utterly fell just way, way below the standard of, of what you would expect from a, from a Republican president. Absolutely. It, it, it's just, I thought it was, it was an open goal and it turned into an open goal that he could have just simply said they are white supremacists and that could have been it. It would have been a bit half-hearted. It would have not been a complete condemnation, but it would have been enough, I think, to satisfy kind of the critics that Donald Trump just like, you know, keep, he does easily legitimizing white supremacy. And it's not a left-wing accusation to make that. I mean, I'd say we're pretty middle-grounded people in the political spectrum. We can see it for what it is. A lot of people can see it what it is, and it's refusing to do it. it it's just shameful. It, it is, again, I say this word a lot, dispiriting. That's what it is. It's really dispiriting for him to do that. Yeah, I, I, I listened to this. As I said, I listened to the debate the morning after it happened, and I, I knew what was coming because I'd read some of the reporting in advance and I'd seen it on Twitter while I was kind of watching the debate unfold. And I just got such a horrible, horrible sinking feeling because ultimately the question at hand, the question that the two candidates were meant to be talking about was about racial justice in the United States. And it, it's shameful at the best of times to tell the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. But on a question where you were asked to talk about racial justice or the lack of racial justice in America, your message is to white supremacists and not the people who are being oppressed is just beyond the realms of something that you could have written four years ago. Could you imagine, if we had this conversation six years ago, could you imagine that we could possibly speculate that the incumbent president of the United States would say something so out of hand and so, so dangerous? I think it just shows how far American politics has been pushed to the extremes. Absolutely. And as well, 
Joe Biden didn't cover himself in glory the whole Antifa conversation. And it, again, it's one kind of gold dust for the Biden critics that, again, it's painting Joe Biden as someone who doesn't know what's going on. And for him to say Antifa's not an organisation, it's it's an idea. And you saw Donald Trump kind of, it was kind of gleefully, like, oh, thank God he's taken the heat off of me. Now, I, I, he's probably think I said something bad. He said something even worse. And it's, again, Trump's criticisms of the crime were very valid. It, it was a very bad piece of legislation. So, but it was predictable. We, we said, look, these are two 70-year-old men who are kind of stuck in the past. And they didn't, both, they both didn't cover themselves in that much glory in the racial justice debate. And at the same time, you're thinking, well, they are 70. They have been, you know, they are not progressives. Neither are progressives. Let's be brutally honest about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But again, it was just not, it was not nice to watch, especially the, the Trump's Proud Boys comedy. It was just very uncomfortable. I think I found that more uncomfortable than when it got really nasty about each other's children. Because you can kind of say, oh, yeah, well, they do hate each other. This was predictable. That wasn't predictable. That was kind of a heart in mouth, you know, fist in mouth like moment of, oh, my God, this is actually happening. So do you think Biden made a mistake in in saying that Antifa is an idea, not an organisation? I think he did. It's not a it's not a game changing mistake. I think it's just more red meat to the Trump war room. But at the same time, we know the effectiveness of that operation, that you get that out there. You mo- Again, you're mobilising the voters that you are worried that won't turn up because they don't want to post, they don't, they don't want to do the posting ballot because they think it's rigged. So they have to go out and vote. If they don't feel inspired enough to vote, then they're going to lose. So them repeating that with and tying into Kamala Harris, which they will never inevitably do with her career in law enforcement, kind of is like gold dust to them but whether or not it lands we we won't know i don't think it will but at the same time it was just a a poor show from biden there yeah i mean to be honest i don't don't actually agree because it's kind of quite quite literally antifa is an idea it's not an organization there is no leader of antifa it's not And Antifa is not organised, it's a collection of people with the same idea. And whether or not you support their message or not, I think looking from afar, Joe Biden is correct. In terms of whether or not I believe that comment was sensible electorally, I possibly side with you on that one because I think that there's lots of swinging voters in the United States of America. There are lots of undecided voters who will look at this and go, ooh, who buy into Trump's message about kind of the suburbs being kind of invaded by protesters and this, that and the other. I think there are people who have genuine concerns about what could happen to their neighbourhoods if protests arrived there. I think that that logic completely ignores the point that people don't protest in the suburbs, they protest in city centres. Um, but the point still stands. I just, yeah, I mean, this this whole debate left me feeling pretty miserable about the state of democracy, but Trump's call to arms for the Proud Boys was was a low point both in this debate and I think in in recent American democratic history. Um, Moving on, there were kind of two more. I've I've, I've noted down seven questions, although there are actually only six official questions on on the agenda. 
Um, the next question was about why should voters elect you as president over your opponent? And again, there wasn't there wasn't really much to talk about here. There was Joe Biden was very, very passionate when talking about both of his sons, which, again, is not a surprise because that's what any normal person would do. Um, after that, we moved on and there was a discussion about climate change. Do you think the American people in this election are going to be particularly worried about climate change? I think they are. I think it's a, a real issue. Of course, it's a real issue. And But again, when you have elections where you're in either in the middle or heading up to a huge, huge political event and a big event worldwide, it takes the air out of probably the, the real issues of the future that, you know, if you don't act now, that the future is going to be much more difficult. And it's such, again, it's such a shame. Like in 2019, over here, you had obviously the Brexit election, many call it, and the government kind of had a very half-hearted net zero by 2050 target, which has kind of been lost in translation because of COVID. And you translate that into the American election, you're not seeing much with the... American policies on climate change because it's just fallen so to the sidelines because of the other issues that American people, of course, want to hear them. But I don't think it's going to swing their vote either way, their policy on climate change. Climate change is, is clearly an issue and you only have to look at the wildfires to, to be able to see that. What I would say is I don't think that what either candidate said from this issue would have any impact on the election because Donald Trump's inane ramblings about climate change were eye-wateringly ridiculous. What Joe Biden said about climate change didn't didn't really make me feel warm and fuzzy inside either. I think Biden did okay. I think Biden said what you'd expect from kind of the Democratic nominee. Apart from that, I don't, I don't think there's much to discuss. What I would say is that Donald Trump's position on this is he was asked a couple of times by Chris Wallace to say that he believed in climate change, whether or not it existed. He resisted the urge to talk about that, and he kept talking instead about crystal clean water and air um he then the president tried to associate joe biden with the green new deal which biden has repeatedly kind of distanced himself from that's not the biden policy um biden also said in the debate that this is for now biden's democratic party isn't kind of the democratic party of aoc for example um do you think that trump's attempt to portray Joe Biden has been in the same camp as Bernie Sanders, AOC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, landed, or do you think this Green New Deal stuff kind of fell flat? I think it fell very flat because very quickly you saw AOC say, well, we know that Joe Biden doesn't agree. That's why she's on part of the team is trying to make this compromise and trying to do this kind of middle way so everyone in the Democratic Party is happy. And Joe Biden is probably a very very steadfast in what he was saying i don't agree with the new deal. I, i've got my own deal with this you know the, my own spin on it i think that was quite effective it again this was something that didn't even it wasn't even a sound bite from Donald Trump. it was just nonsense and a lot of people i think have wised up to that because as much as joe biden isn't really a memorable debater this is something that everyone does know his policy about that he does not agree with the new deal yeah, I mean, I, I didn't understand this as that whatsoever. And and something that, that Donald Trump tried to do a couple of times in the debate was to claim that Joe Biden was in fraud to the left wing of the Democratic Party. And he kept making comments about how if Joe Biden said certain things, he'd lose all the votes from the left. He said that a couple of times. 
And I just thought, this is this is a really weird thing for the president to keep saying. And I'm I'm not actually sure why he said it, because of course, people on the left wing of of the Democratic Party obviously have concerns about Joe Biden. That is blatantly clear, and it's why they voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary election. No one disputes that. Joe Biden knows that. Literally everyone in the world knows this. And it just struck me as a little bit strange for the president of the United States to almost kind of taunt and make fun of the fact that Biden might lose votes from the left when the people that really matter in this election are the people in the centre because they're essentially going to be the ones who swing this back to the Democrats if Biden is to win the election. Uh, did, did you get that? I just don't really understand what Trump was trying to achieve there. Yeah, I think it's this. It's been the narrative ever since the primary started that you know the Democrats have now gone to the hard left. It's the radical socialists, and it just didn't make any sense that it's been rebutted a lot of times. But even from an electoral strategy point of view, well, where are the left wing voters going to go? They're not going to vote for a third candidate because eventually, if you get enough third candidates votes in each state that they all fall to either Donald Trump or Joe Biden just won't get the support out there. Hillary Clinton had that same problem in a couple of states where she was getting enough votes, but it, it's, a lot of them were just going to a third candidate and it was not helping her nationally. So it's illogical. I think if Donald Trump and the Republican Party had a moderate ticket, then that kind of thing does work. It's the fear of, well, you know, how far will they go? They can't see Joe Biden lasting the whole term. They might just stick with Donald Trump. But at the same time, his agenda, well, we don't really know his agenda anyway, but we know he's not a moderate and the Republican Party at the moment are not a moderate party. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just didn't understand the strategy there. I think the final clip for today's show, we're kind of approaching the hour mark now. So if you're still with us, thank you for following along with the podcast, I should say. If you are on Twitter, and I'd be frankly amazed if, if you're not on Twitter, this podcast, please do follow us at Midfield Politic. We would love to have you over there. We post lots of stuff throughout the week. Here is the final tip of the show. But it is. So I, first for you, sir, finally for the, for the vice president, I hope neither of you will interrupt the other. Will you urge your supporters to stay calm during this extended period, not to engage in any civil unrest? And will you pledge tonight that you will not declare victory until the election has been independently certified. President Trump, I'm you go first. I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. As you know, today there was a big problem. In Philadelphia, they went in to watch. They were called poll watchers, a very safe, very nice thing. They were thrown out. They weren't allowed to watch. You know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia, bad things. And you, I am urging, I am urging my people. I hope it's going to be a fair election. If it's a fair election, I am 100% on board. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. And I'll tell and what, you what, what does that from mean, a common sense, does that mean you're I'll going tell to you what it means. To take to it means screen? you have a fraudulent election. You're and sending you out 80 million ballots. They're not, they're not equipped. To, these people aren't equipped to handle it, number one. Number two, okay. they cheat. They cheat. Hey, they found ballots in a waste paper basket three sure. days ago, and they all had the name all right. military ballots. They were military. They all. 
So, Zach, the final part of today's episode, we're going to be talking about the integrity of the upcoming 2020 presidential election. The question put to the two candidates by Chris Wallace was simply to say, what are you prepared to do to reassure the public? We heard there the president, Donald Trump's answer to the question where he spoke about ballots being dumped in rivers and various places across the country. What did you make of the president's remarks? Very, very worrying that we are now serious. You know, for the past few months, every time we do the American politics on the podcast, we say, oh, he's not really going to massively down talk in the campaign. He's got far better things to do, right? And he's gone on a massive platform in front of millions live on national TV. And it's basically, he's trying to basically waste away the legitimacy of this election. And I think I was watching this debate with Sky and someone made this really good point. It's, it's a general point as well. You don't do this kind of thing if you know you're going to win. You only do this when you, you know you're going to lose. And it kind of, you thread it together, the Supreme Court, packing it in with his own judges. The whole narrative about mailing voting being fraudulent. And in a way, I think kind of cajoling even the Supreme Court, who we know are, we hope our, our judiciary are independent, but they're not especially in America, it's much more partisan, that, you know, that kind of stand up, stand up and stand by can kind of translate into that as well. That if Donald Trump is seen to have been robbed of his election win, I think you are into very dangerous territory. And he did not do what Joe Biden said and said, well, look, the result's the result. And that was worrying that I think we are in dangerous territory now where we could come to election night, we cover it, and we don't know who's won, we don't know how they've won, and we don't know what's going to happen next. And usually those kind of things are quite automatic in an American election. They get the 270 college votes, they get inaugurated in January. It's very simple, but this is very unprecedented and very worrying. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to point out on this on this issue is that I'm just utterly unsurprised by what has happened as a moth flies at me in in the office that's great um I'm, I'm i'm really unsurprised by what the president said i think this was totally predictable and we all knew what was coming um trump kind of and and this was spectacular as well at the, at the start of this section of the debate accused hillary clinton of attempting a coup said the ballots were being sent all over the place he then said this is going to be a fraud like no one has ever seen and then kind of claim that we might not know for months who won the election. There's there's one comment in in there that that I think is true. We it is the case that we might not know for a number of months who won this year's election. Um, and Donald Trump did nothing to calm the fears that he would play into that and use that as a as a means of saying that the result was somehow illegitimate. It's it's a bit of an issue, isn't this, for Democrats? Because Biden has taken a very clear stance, and I actually give Biden a lot of credit for saying what he did, in saying that basically he will accept the result, win or lose. Donald Trump, on the other hand, has taken a very different position, has taken, for all intents and purposes, quite a non-committal position, and has said, well, I'm not really sure at this point. I think it's it's certainly worrying it's very very worrying and and the comment that ca- caught my attention from the president was i'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully 
I don't know about you, Zach, but that doesn't particularly sound like a positive thing for democracy. No, it, it sounds as, again, laying in that, that narrative that whatever you vote for, the election's already been decided. I think that's what he's trying to say. That, well, that could be the case of the Supreme Court, that, well, whatever happened, they were going to win anyway because it was rigged. And I think his voters believe that. You, you see what his voters are like. You see the, um, a portion of the Republican Party do genuinely believe that. They think that this election is not going, they're not going to win it, not because that, you know, the disastrous coronavirus response, not because of the economy falling to pieces, not because of how badly Donald Trump has, has conducted himself on the international stage, but it's actually Joe Biden's fault for winning an election that they've lost and to say just watch it's, it's that kind of paranoia setting in that that does pave the way for civil unrest if someone thinks that their ballot has not been counted or been discounted you're going to see civil unrest it, it, it is sadly an inevitability that whatever happens come the result I think you are going to see an element of civil unrest in the country there's there's so much to unpack there's too much to talk about just just for the end of this show to, to to sum it all up what i would say is that by urging supporters to to literally physically watch the polls and to watch very carefully it's it's nonsensical because and i, I speak from kind of an academic background on this this isn't kind of the journalistic side of things this is what people have observed on, on an academic level is that if you're going to cheat an election if you're going to fix an election, A, you need to be the incumbent, typically, and B, ballot stuffing isn't really how you do it because it's very obvious because there'll be CCTV and people will see it and the vote won't add up. So the idea, and this is essentially what he's saying could happen, but urging people, I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully, it's as if Trump is saying that people are going to be ballot stuffing in favour of Joe Biden. And if the election were to be rigged in favour of the Democrats, that is simply not how it would happen. And I just think, uh, I mean, I mean, it's just detached from reality at this point, isn't it? And again, you juxtapose the president's remarks from what Joe Biden had to say, which was once the winner is declared, after all of the ballots have been counted, that's the end of it. And I fear that that probably won't be the end of it because this is probably going to end up in the Supreme Court, let's be honest. I normally ask these that. Mm. How confident are you that Joe Biden is going to win the presidential election? Um, I'm sure I will at some point before we end the show. But before I do that, how confident are you that this election will end in the Supreme Court? Eight out of ten. I think even at, I think the only thing that could stop it is Joe Biden just happened to win every single state. And that's not going to happen. I feel like even a landslide victory is still going to cause doubts. We are heading for this. If, if Donald Trump loses, that's it. The election doesn't end. It won't end. <laughs> yeah, but if Donald Trump wins, I think he'll happily accept the result. Yeah, I think we're very much on the path to this ending up in the Supreme Court, which is terrifying in, in many respects. You would hope that the American judiciary stands true to kind of democracy and, and bats away accusations of cheating if there is none of course if there is cheating then that's a different matter entirely but there's been no suggestions as as joe biden said in the debate in the debate there's no suggestions that mail-in ballots are more prone to fraud than personal voting in-person voting so yeah it's 
it's very much through the looking through the looking glass at this point. Joe Biden was was bullish in his opening remarks on this in this topic. He was asked, "What would you do to reassure the public?" He said, "I'd let people vote," and then he directed them to the voting website. He then went on to say. He is trying to scare people into thinking he's not going. It's not going to be legitimate. Vote early. Vote in person. Vote in whatever way is best for you. If I win, that will be accepted. If I lose, that will be accepted. And then he went on to say that Trump can't stay in power. I mean, Biden was trying to be quite bullish there, and he was trying to make this kind of claim that whatever happened, democracy will ultimately win, because Donald Trump, whether or not he believes this, cannot stay in power as some kind of authoritarian leader. There's there's a lot at play in this election, and there was an article on the BBC that spoke about the election to people around the world. I think there were people in Italy, India, a few other countries too, talking about how this election was not only important to Americans because obviously it's about who's going to be running the country, but also to the world at large because this is about democracy, this is about human rights, and the world is being whipped up into a frenzy about how important this election is. And it remains to be seen whether Trump or whether Biden will win. But what's important to think about at this stage is that the election has already begun. People have already cast the ballots, although they've obviously not been counted yet. People have already made up their minds. And there's a very thin number of people in the United States who are polled who say they're currently undecided. And to wrap up my thoughts on, on this debate, which, as I've already said, was, was a bit of a shambles, I don't think Donald Trump won this. And again... The vast majority, I haven't actually seen any of the pollings that suggest that Donald Trump won the debate. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that, Zach. There were lots of polling that said that it was narrow victory for Biden, or at least Biden had kind of a majority or kind of a plurality of people saying that he won rather than Trump won. And that says a lot about the state of the race because uh, Trump is behind quite significantly in a lot of the polls. Trump needed to turn up to this election and have a very, very good day. He did not have a very, very good day. People aren't talking about Joe Biden having an unthinkable gaffe, and people aren't talking about whether Joe Biden is mentally fit to be president. People are talking about whether or not the president is a white supremacist. And whether or not that whips the the Trump base up or not, it's not going to attract swing voters. So I feel like, in sum, this is a huge missed opportunity for Donald Trump because he needed to make a huge impression at these debates. Essentially, what Trump needed was for Biden to look absolutely awful. And in all honesty, Biden vastly outperformed what I expected of him. Absolutely. I think I went into the debate with high expectations for Donald Trump to think this is usually his stomping ground. He can rattle Joe Biden for a bit. Uh, He won't be completely ridiculous. He'll just do what he usually does and probably get away with it. But Joe Biden, I think, as much as he stuttered, and he does have a stutter, I feel he done quite well, considering, obviously, there were low expectations anyway. He he came across statesmanlike. A lot of, and I keep going back to this, uh, the undecided voters Zoom thing. All the words that come out of the debate, well, yes, it's a really poor debate. But all the positive words of statesman like presidential were going to Joe Biden. I think one person called Trump a crackhead. I mean, that's kind of when you, when you, when you want to just get an indication of where where's this, you know, where it's going to lie. I think Joe Biden probably wins over decided voters. But the point I made when the debate actually ended, I think about nearly four in the morning, 
was maybe everyone has been so turned off by the debate that actually just people aren't just going, they just might just not vote. They might just not see the point. They want to vote for a third candidate because they don't want to be blamed for letting Donald Trump or Joe Biden in. So they just say, well, do you know what? I'm not going to vote. Let everyone else decide. I think that's how bad the debate was in general. And could that be part of Trump's strategy to just turn people off of off of voting completely so fewer people vote and perhaps he might stand more of a chance? I think so. I think that's how a Trump victory may materialise, that there might be a very low turnout. Uh, then again, turnout in US elections are quite low. I think last time was 55.8%. So it's not as if there's a huge turnout anyway, but I feel if Donald Trump stokes up enough fear about their vote not actually reaching uh, a polling booth, and in general, look, look how terrible he is, I might have handled the coronavirus very badly, but do you really trust Joe Biden to you know, protect US interests both ho- at home and abroad? And if people don't think that either, they might just not vote, and that can really help him in, in some Rust Belt states. But I think... Those kind of comments can wait until probably the last debate, because at the moment we've only gone through one debate. We don't know if the second one's going to go ahead yet because of Trump's uh, positive test. But I think if I'm going to look at it from a polling perspective, this has changed absolutely nothing. Biden still has a comfortable lead. Trump's not made a dent and Biden's not gone up or down from it, I think. Yeah, I think in many respects this was somewhat of a of a non-entity i don't think to quote theresa may anything has changed because no one is surprised by what happened and again in in a normal election a candidate saying or refusing to condemn white supremacists would have changed a lot in this election it doesn't seem to make a huge difference and again i think that says a lot about where we started this race and perhaps where this race might finish i don't really have too much else to say zach i feel If I summarise my thoughts in in the most kind of blunt and least analytical way possibly, this just, (sighs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) It just leaves me feeling a little bit meh. It's just like, this is horrible to watch. It's, it's not making me feel good about democracy, which I'm genuinely passionate about democracy. And I, I just feel a little bit like, wow, we have sunk to new levels with this and i think donald trump has truly sunk the political discourse to new levels with this debate i think i hesitate to call uh, we did a couple of polls on twitter um where kind of before the debate it was who do you think will win and i think it was trump narrowly was was voted who would win i then did a uh, poll for afterwards who who did win the election uh, who did win the debate rather and it was i think trump had around 29 percent a draw was was quite high and then biden was just ahead with like 31 percent, and there was quite a few undecided undecided in there too and i think that pretty much sums it up i don't think anyone i don't think i hesitate to call this a biden victory because it it wasn't if it was a victory it wasn't emphatic i hesitate to call it a draw because i think that gives trump too much credit ultimately to to sum up my thoughts trump lost i'm not really sure who won i'm not sure if it was biden and i i I don't know i'm a little bit confused by the whole situation and to be fair what i've just said makes absolutely no sense on on a logical basis so you're probably sat there listening saying what is he talking about but yeah that's that's kind of how the debate left me feeling zach sum up your thoughts I think I said this to you the other night that I think they can they think they've won in their own ways. I think Trump managed to rattle Joe Biden. That was quite evident. He managed to 
for some people, he looked quite strong in bullying Joe Biden. I think for other people, he just looked like a bully. Joe Biden come across as quite statesmanlike, quite reserved, got what he wanted to say out and probably what he needed to say out. Whether or not it landed or not is another question. So I think I can see why both of them will think they've won in their own way. But like you, I, I don't really see a winner. But again, you, if you say it's a draw, then you say that Trump's done very well. I, I don't think either done very well. I think the one person that did lose was the moderator. That's that's the biggest loser out of the three of them. Why do you, why do you, why do you say that? Why did Chris Wallace do such a bad job? It just seemed that the conversation was stopping and starting. That critical moments in the debate were not pressed upon. He let Trump absolutely dominate, and if you let someone dominate, then all of the the Trump team are going to say he won. That. And then accuse, and it's predictable, even ironically, that Chris Wallace is from Fox, you know, Trump's favourite station, that straight away Trump put a picture of basically Donald Trump on one panel, then put verses, and then Joe Biden and Chris Wallace on the other panel. And it's like, it kind of gives him that narrative of, well, they're against me. What am I supposed to do? You know, I'm just trying to get my word across. Yeah, I mean, it, I think... What sums this up quite nicely is the fact that the, the debates commission is considering or has attempted to change the format of the next debate. That was kind of how bad Chris Wallace's performance was in, in wake of what of what Trump's tactics were. To round off the show, Zach, how confident are you in a Joe Biden victory? Still 7.5 out of 10. It's, it, I think it kind of represents what the, where the polls are. They're not moving. And I think expectations aren't moving that he's going to win probably the states he needs to win. It won't probably, it might be a landslide. I don't know, but I think it's going to be a victory of some sort. And I think that just about rounds up another episode of the Midfield Politics podcast. Once again, thank you so, so much for listening along to the podcast. Of course, a slightly shorter interval this week between the two episodes, but we hope you've enjoyed. Um, if you missed, episode the, the previous episode i think it was episode 15 it, it discussed all of the events from last week including andrew neil's bbc departure so there's a fair amount of kind of timeless content for you to listen back to if you were to desire um as we've said previously we've got a lot planned for the presidential election so please do make sure you keep across our social media channels you can find all of the stuff in the description below links to my channel uh social media accounts links to zach's social media accounts and of course links to at midfield politic the the podcast twitter account also we published the first blog about or rather from midfield politics on um medium last week so yeah that will also be in the description and it talks about kind of the coronavirus democracy populism and then i set out the case for proportional representation it's it's somewhat of a meandering long read so hopefully you enjoy it but yeah that will be linked in the description too um, Zach, once again, thank you for joining me for another episode of Midfield Politics. And until next time, stay safe and keep voting. <laughs>